Welcome to the party. How is Kirk Cousins actually looking in Minnesota Vikings camp? And Garrett Bradbury has issues. That's all coming up on the Minnesota Football Party today. I'm Sam Ekstrom, your host, joined by Luke Braun, Locked On Vikings host, and Arif Hassan of TheAthletic.com. Luke Inman today taking a day to himself, little PTO. He's off. He'll rejoin us on Thursday. We also have a guest of honor, Mystery Mondays. Guest of honor coming up later. Luke, Arif, what do you have for me? Luke, tell me about your background. Where are you right now? I'm at my sister's place in Chanhassen, so I'm away from my normal setup, but I'll be able to go to camp this week. That is good. We will see you out there at TCO. Arif is back in his usual lair. Arif, how was your weekend, dude? Uh, it was all right. Uh, nothing awful, nothing great. I'm just a boring guy. Well, I know what you did. You went to Vikings camp. I was off over the weekend. So let's start by Boy, going to our correspondent, Arif. Boots on the ground. Arif is on. Tell us what we <laughs> missed over the weekend. I mean, we saw we saw some unpadded practices. We saw some padded practices. I think, uh, you know, we missed some opportunities for some dark horses to uh, to to make their claim. I mean, Myra Mitchell was injured for a par portion of practices. I've been keeping my eye on him because he's been able to get open. But you know, for the most part, it's been more of the same. I think we've seen some really exciting plays from KJ Osborne. We saw some uh, ups and downs, struggles and successes from Andrew Booth. We saw some more consistent. Uh, performances from Cameron Dancer, which I think a lot of us like to see. We saw some three safety sets again. You know, that's that's something that's been kind of like a theme here. Uh, we saw some offensive line, defensive line drills where I think we might see, and you were already alluding to this, we might see some competition at center. And the the right guard competition is shaping up to be a little bit better, at least from what I've seen so far, than I had expected coming into camp. So is there anything I missed there that you wanted me to cover? I, I want to dig into to some of it. And now, Luke Braun, you're going to be at camp this week, but you've been at camp you know, previous years as well, and you've seen Justin Jefferson in a camp setting. I've said this aloud mm -hmm. to Arif, and I'm eating my words this year. Justin Jefferson, to me, in his first two camps, did not wow. He was not spectacular. I felt like he was like clearly gifted, but when it came to playmaking, somewhat ordinary. This camp has been extraordinary. For Justin Jefferson. Um, first, I want to hear if Luke agrees with that. And then Luke Braun, did I say Luke? I want to hear if Arif agrees with it. And then I want to hear Luke Braun um, give his thoughts on that uh, original premise. So I've been giving uh, Sam a bit of guff for this, uh, for this statement that he's made. But actually, in full transparency, when he said it, I, I kind of agreed. I hedged a little bit, but I kind of agreed, right, that, that Justin Jefferson seems to save his playmaking exclusively for the regular season. But uh, in this camp, we've seen a lot of really exciting highlights. And I think, you know, it, people tend to forget how pedestrian Justin Jefferson was in the first camp and how kind of, you know, under, uh, maybe not under the radar, but how kind of non- uh, exciting he was in the second camp. But the pedestrian first camp, I think, is a story that needs to be pounded into the ground when people, you know, do their revisionist history on Justin Jefferson and so on. But in this camp, he has been exciting. He's been winning contested catches. He's been, you know, making big plays downfield. He's been generating yards after the catch, although, of course, that's always impossible to determine in a camp setting. Uh, and he's been winning at all three levels of the field against all kinds of coverages, against all kinds of corners. The only guy that seems to be able to even slow him down is Patrick Peterson. I think that's a pretty good sign. Luke Braun. Yeah, I, I, so I wasn't able to go to camp in 2020 because it was COVID. Um, but right. it, it sounded like he was pretty bad at that camp. And then last camp, we might just be misremembered because he got hurt like pretty early in it and then was basically shut down for like a while with, with the, the shoulder injury. So we didn't see him for a bunch of that camp. But I remember sitting there watching him before that injury and thinking, this dude's going to explode the world. So if he's taken a step up, and I think part of that might actually be a, a connection with Kirk Cousins, a, a chemistry with Kirk Cousins. I wish Inman were here. Chemistry. Um, but like that seems like it has reached a great level in, um, in year three. And if that can continue into the regular season, we might be able to see more consistency out of that pairing and boy, how, that se that's scary. That's, that should horrify you defenses. Yeah, I, I think that Luke makes a good point because to my eye, Kirk Cousins has been more aggressive this camp than he has in any recent camps that I've observed. 
And I think that's going to be the key is to reprogram his brain, if that's possible, to have that aggressive mindset in the regular season, even if it comes at the expense of some interceptions. And he has thrown those in camp as well. But Arif, am I crazy to think that Kirk has looked as free throwing the football this camp as he had in any year in the Kubiak system? You know, I don't like words that are difficult to interpret. I like precision of language. Free is a tough one for me. But I will say he has looked better. Now, I'm not a guy that, that watch. I mean, I mean, he looks aggressive. He looks like he's willing to take some shots. Those shots are working out. Unencumbered? So in that sense, I think so. Unencumbered. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's not usually wearing a backpack in practices, so I don't know. But, uh, no, I, I think that he's looked good. Now, I'm not a guy that usually watches Kirk Cousins in camp. I think the first camp he was here, I paid a lot of attention to him to see how he was doing. But, honestly, he's generally been a background character in camp, in part because that's who he is as a quarterback. He's a paint-by-numbers. You call the play. He executes the play. And that's what occurs kind of on the field, right? You know, that's just kind of who he is, and that's how camp has played out. But this year, I think that we're seeing kind of uh, a more exciting Cousins. Again, I'm not paying as much attention to him as I am the other players because – Kirk's making the roster. He's the starter. But uh, fewer interceptions. I, I know that a lot of people wanted to harp on that first interception he threw to Andrew Booth. First, because it's exciting. It's Andrew Booth. Second, because, you know, starting off camp with an interception is always very funny. But um, he's thrown fewer interceptions. He's won a lot of two-minute drills. He, the only two-minute drill he hasn't won, I believe, was the most recent one uh, where you needed a touchdown to win. But, uh, you know, if you remember the the first two or the middle two camps with Kirk Cousins and the Mike Zimmer era, he didn't win a single two-minute drill in training camps mm -hmm. over the course of those two camps. Not a single one. Mm -hmm. In fact, even going into practices, he had difficulty winning two-minute drills. And that replicated itself on the field. Now, we're watching him win two-minute drills in a training camp. One of them was, you know, he needed a touchdown to win. He got that. A couple of them where he needed a field goal to win. He got in range. He got helped a little bit because driving, uh, you know, down the field to set up a 52-yard field goal is not exactly heroic behavior. But, you know, a win's a win, right? And that's what he set up. Uh, and, and this most recent one where he had to set up a touchdown to win, he didn't get. But this is miles better than we're used to seeing from him in terms of the ability to kind of close out in situational football drills. Uh, and it's nice. Might say something about the defense. Remember, the defense has been his, oh, horrible this past year uh, in, in two-minute drills. But I really like kind of what we're seeing from Cousins, his ability to kind of avoid the middle of the field in, in time pressure situations but still generate big plays. Not something I think that he was really well known for uh in in the past couple of years so you know i'm not a kirk hype train guy but uh if 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 kirk is on is set for a historic season uh it, it would look a lot like this at the beginning yeah and it, yeah and it, to some extent i'm just trying to call it like i see it where also not being a kirk hype train guy but i am seeing a different kirk than last year when it really was a tr like a train wreck in on all fronts yeah you looked sloppy he looked uh like he wasn't on the same page with his receivers wasn't on the same page with his head coach so i mean L luke braun is it safe to say too that the offense could be ahead of the defense in this particular setting when they have a lot more continuity i would say just with their the togetherness and the key pieces being back together whereas the defense is learning an entirely new scheme and has a lot of new faces yeah, it's hard because, you know, with certain drills, the offense will have a huge advantage, like on one-on-ones, and then on other drills, the defense will have an advantage. If I remember, I don't know if this ever got verified or not, but, like, wasn't Mike Zimmer, like, tipping off plays to the defense so that they knew, like, what the – or, like, Mike Zimmer would call plays knowing what the offense's play call was, and that would, like, make the defense look way ahead of where they were. Um, but if I remember last year – at Go Long Sports. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was a bit of reporting, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if I remember last year, after Kirk Cousins came out back from the, the COVID uh, kerfuffle, he was, like, downright bad. And we were like, uh-oh, did COVID ruin Cousins for a hot second? And mm -hmm. so, like, we can absolutely compare these to past training camps and see whatever was going on at those past training camps, what we are seeing now is better. And whether that translates to regular season success or not, I mean, it would be irresponsible to try to make that guess, I think. But... It sure can't be bad news that he's like suddenly looks a lot sharper and on a, uh, a great page with Jefferson and Osborne and Thielen. Like that's got to be good, right? It's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, I would say Osborne has had an exquisite camp. Jefferson's had a great camp. Thielen has made his share of great grabs. He's just doing what Thielen does. Um, Arif, we lean on you a lot because you're a really good resource, and I'm going to lean on you again here. 
Obviously, the Bradbury competition at center is the big story from the weekend. How would you say that narrative stacks up with your notes from the one-on-ones? Because I know that's something you pay particular attention to. I was really interested to hear Kevin O'Connell like single that out early in the early in last week to say, "Hey, that's something that we pay attention to as well." Um, how is Bradbury actually holding up in those drills? Terribly. <laughs> it's it is it is a drill that is uh, biased against offensive linemen and biased against centers in particular. I believe I went over that on the last show. But uh, even after accounting for you know how stacked the deck is against centers who often have help, who often don't have to deal with the amount of space that defensive linemen are get, who often have to hold up in a one on one drill longer than they would on a passing play. All of that said, uh, it ha- it has been really concerning levels of play. I mean. It starts off worse. He's gotten better since the since the beginning of, of padded practices. In fact, he actually didn't have a bad showing in Saturday one-on-one drills or the most recent padded practices. But for the most part, it has been extremely concerning. He has lost to Harrison Phillips. He's lost to Dalvin Tomlinson. Um, he has lost in team drills to, to various uh, nose tackles and, and defensive tackles that have stunted into his gap. He's done poor on stunts, which is uh, somewhat unusual. He's actually not that bad at handling stunts and twists in general. Um, but it but it has been very concerning. And of course, Kevin O'Connell saying that you know pass protection is an issue uh, for Garrett Bradbury, or so, an area where you know he's got an opportunity to improve. Or I forget exactly what what wording O'Connell used. But uh, that pass protection he singled out as a particular challenge for him. Um, you know that that I think tells us that this is kind of uh, on his mind. And seeing how well uh, Chris Reed has done, like sometimes I'll I'll take notes and I'll just write down the the jersey numbers of players and not kind of interpret what I'm watching. Uh, and so I'm like, hey, who's been the best backup offensive lineman? Uh, 62. Who's 62? Who's 62? Who's 62? Oh, it's Chris Reed, right? You know, it's kind of one of those situations where where Reed has kind of uh, jumped out, again, mostly against backups, but Reed has jumped out as, as a particularly good performer uh, in one-on-one drills. And so I think that that creates a huge opportunity for the Vikings to maybe upgrade at center and guard as opposed to just guard. So, Arif, what you describe is not necessarily a decline from Bradbury. It's just default Bradbury. This is who he's been. This is probably who he's going to be. So, Luke Braun, last week you busted out the tinfoil hat. I want you to put on your (laughs) quasi hat. Whether you believe it or not, I want you to make the the justification, as if you are quasi, for why the center position was not addressed in free agency or the draft. Give me your best validation of the approach the Vikings took? Probably the 2023 class. It's supposed to be a good center class, so they're probably just trying to time that up where you'll have Bradbury or if Chris Reed beats him, you do that and then kind of limp that through this this season and sure, it'll be a roster hole and then you can kind of approach uh, the draft next year with needs at the positions that are deepest in that draft. I think that's always the way. That's the way Rick Spielman wanted to navigate the draft, where your your needs kind of always aligned with what was available, and you weren't sitting there going, "Oh shoot!" Like the Steelers, right? They need a quarterback really bad. This is a bad quarterback draft. It's a bad situation, and it's one they want to avoid at every position. Um, so that would be my guess. It does seem like it was a fundamentally unserious attempt to get uh, competition for for Bradbury, even as as the last. Bradbury fan. Even I said they should probably get competition for Garrett Bradbury. And Chris Reed has never taken a live snap in a meaningful game at center. It's, it's always either been preseason or camp, and he's never taken that in like a meaningful regular season or playoff game. So that feels like very unserious. And if they lucked out and he happens to be this great upgrade, that's great. But haven't there been like a bunch of snap exchange issues? And is he communicating with things right and all that? Like it seems very unserious it seems very similar to saying well Oli Udo had a good camp let's just trot him out at right guard which was a catastrophe um it seems very almost negligent but if you're gonna neglect a position the first thing I would always do is say okay how is next year's draft class looking because that might explain it yeah it is problematic for the decision makers that Garrett Bradbury is very good pre-snap like in the moments before the snap, diagnosing coverages, executing the snap. These are all things Garrett Bradbury is good at. And then the four seconds of pass that we take for granted is, is where it yes. all far, falls apart. Um, snap yeah. issues, Arif, I would say more, almost more of a Mond issue, honestly. I mean, he seems to be I, the, I would argue the, it's more of a Mond issue, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the, the, re- the reason I say the snap issues are more of a Mond issue is because, um, A, when you're watching the shotgun snaps that he fumbles, 
they're placed perfectly. They're exactly where they need to be. Ah. Um, and, oh, uh, and, and part of that, like, you know, a perfect snap, you know, the laces are where they need to be. And so like, maybe that's not happening, but who cares? That's on the quarterback at that point if the ball is where it needs to be. But second, it's occurring regardless of whether or not it's Schlotman or Reed under center. And that's the issue, oh, okay. right? Like if it was just one of them, I'd say, you know, I can see kind of like, hey, maybe it's Reed, but it's occurring on both shotgun and under center snaps. It's also occurring when it's Schlotman and when it's Reed and Schlotman has been a career center. Like if it's just Reed, it's like, well, okay, he he hasn't played center in actual NFL games. He's primarily played center in practices. You know, that's, uh, you know, getting the center snap exchange is difficult. Uh, you know, that was kind of the whole conversation about, you know, Creed Humphrey and Patrick Mahomes, which, you know, I guess that didn't matter. He ended up being the best center in the NFL year one. But, um, you know, that, 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 that's a kind of a critical part of the equation. Uh, and, and like Luke said, you, know, you can't ignore it, right? The snap occurs on every play. You cannot have a situation where, you know, one out of every 30 plays or twice a game is an automatic fumble. That's just untenable, right? Um, and that is kind of one reason that you wouldn't go Mason Cole long-term, right? It's because he could persistently have snap issues throughout his career, despite how much of a better mm -hmm. blocker he is. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen on a play? A turnover. Maybe don't start the process that way. So, um, yeah, th these are all, like, really important things. But I think in this case, it is a bit more of a Mond issue for, at least it turns out, like a couple of reasons as I've been watching these. Yeah, it, it feels like the way that Kevin O'Connell has talked about Bradbury and he has been honest about Bradbury and he's not sitting there trying to tell you, actually, he's bigger. He's not going to get bowled over anymore. Like nobody should believe that. And if you're trying to hold out your hope that he's not going to, that he's going to go up against a 340 pound nose tackle and not get walked back. The best you can hope for is that he can hop it a little bit and, and slow it down. Right. And hopefully Kirk Cousins can get rid of the ball. That's always going to be who Bradbury is. And it's, and it's, it's, it represents this like devil's bargain that the last staff gladly accepted with Garrett Bradbury um, and that he was like, okay, we're going to take this pass protection issue. And in return, we get, you know, comfort with the snaps. We get comfort with the communication. We get comfort with reach blocking and all the run blocking things that Garrett Bradbury offers. And we're going to take all that. And in exchange, we have to deal with the pass protection issue. And it seems like at least headed into camp, the Vikings made that same devil's bargain. And if Chris Reed does happen to be, a better center and ends up starting week one and, and represents an improvement at center. That feels like a stroke of luck rather than like, Oh, good job. Quasi, you fixed the problem. That kind of feels like it's an accident. They had six of the top 18 PFF centers available on the market and they did not go after them. And JC Treader is still among those six and still available. And I imagine he's just waiting for like a clear opening and a team that has a little bit of cap space to come along and, and sign him. But uh, that's a curious one. I want to get into the weeds with our rankum segment of the day. I've given you each four names of fringe Minnesota Vikings. I want you to rank the likelihood that they make the 53 man roster. The names are as follows. The Darian Lowe, sixth round tackle, Jalen Naylor, Sixth round receiver, Asezi Otomewu, fifth round defensive end, and Nick Muse, the seventh round tight end. So it's Low, Naylor, Otomewu, and Nick Muse. Uh, we begin with Luke Braun. Um, so I'll go best chance first feels like Naylor um, because he's had a couple of camp highlights, but also the most he has to do is beat out like Albert Wilson. Um, maybe right. be a punt returner. That, that's a way to make it. There seems like a lot of avenues in the path to him, to the roster for him is a little easier. Um, Oda Maywo is probably second for me. It seems like he's had a better camp than I expected, but I'm still going off of draft priors a little bit, but he probably has the easiest path to the roster because that edge depth is such a problem. After uh, Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, it's backups and busts. So uh, if Oda Maywo can show anything... He has a pretty good path to the roster. I don't hate either of those guys' chances. Vidarian Lowe feels like he could be okay, but behind Blake Brandle and Oli Udo, that feels like a bit more difficult path to the roster, so I'll go third with him. And Nick Muse seems like a completely forgotten man who got leapfrogged by Zach Davidson. I'm pretty worried about that. I don't think that this is the year for him. Arif. Uh, I'll start with Naylor. Uh, no reason to repeat Luke's reasoning here. It's correct. I mean, he's got uh, the easiest path. He could also just make it out right as a receiver. I'll note that uh, his past couple of practices have been better as a receiver than his first couple of practices, so he might even, even be able to make it out right as a receiver. But the partner turn job is 
sparse in terms of talent. I think the only person he has to beat, like Luke said, is Albert Wilson. I don't think KJ Osborne, Amir Smith-Marset, or Tommy Hennigan pose serious threats to that part of the roster. So um, there's that. I think with uh, Odomewo and Lowe, I would say uh, it's a bit of a tie. I think in terms of roster path, you know, Lowe might have it a little bit better, but I think Odomewo's upside and the draft capital the Vikings invested in and the priors that they're bringing, not just, you know, Luke and us, but that they're bringing into the evaluation will put Odomewo second. I was thinking about uh, putting him third. Uh, and the reason is actually this, is that Odomewo um, is not playing the edge. He's playing, you know, the five technique position. Now, obviously he can be oh, shadow depth at the edge, right? In the same way that like James Lynch could, you know, in theory be shadow depth along the edge, right? It's just that, you know, you want to have them on the inside. They've bulked up. Uh, and so he's playing on the inside. And that is actually a little bit more difficult because we know Armand Watts is almost certainly the starter, especially based on camp performances thus far. And then you've got kind of this glut of players uh, ahead of him, like, you know, a Jalen Twyman and a, and a James Lynch and so on. There's only so many players he can carry. So it, it is a difficult path, but um, Lowe would have to make it as basically a 10th offensive lineman or a second tackle. And he'd have to prove that he's better than Blake Randall, who um, is fine, actually, given kind of the position that he's being expected to play. So that'd be difficult. I see Lowe as a, as a practice squad stash. And then uh, finally, um, I, I just don't see uh, a ton of room uh, otherwise, right? I don't see a ton of room for Nick Muse. I think that, you know, Zach Davidson has done enough. You know, I'm not a huge Zach Davidson guy. I know you are. Uh, but Zach Davidson has done enough to at least uh, be ahead of Nick Muse um, and Sean Byer on the tight end depth chart. If they only keep three, you know, that would be tough for Davidson, but certainly Muse would not be in that equation. If they keep four, which I think is the maximum number of tight ends they keep, I still don't see how Nick Muse makes it. So um, th those are the those are the, my four. Yeah, logic pretty similar. Nailer number one. And maybe I'm a little number biased because I see Albert Wilson wearing number 25. But whenever he runs a route, I can't help but think, oh, look at that running back doing a nice little wheel yeah. route. That's yeah, cute. Yeah. That's adorable. Um, he does not look like a wide receiver. And I, it's, I guarantee you it's the number. It's a major number bias. And this is the problem with the NFL shaking up all the numbers and throwing them into a pot. Tom Brady was right. Can wear them. Tom Brady <laughs> was right. I'm so confused. It really is a reporter issue as much as it is like confusing the players. Um, I think I'm just to shake things up, I would put um, a Tomewo third on the list, and I would put low at number two because I feel like the tackle depth is just as dire as the edge depth. Now, granted, you're going to dip into your edge depth probably a little more than your tackle depth because you're not rotating offensive linemen just by nature. But Brandel and Udo are in contract years. Udo is not good. I'm not sure he makes the team. Um, and I think that you'd like to have a good, you know, tackle prospect on your roster for at least the next couple of years and not risk um, a practice squad poach. So for that reason, I would put in number two, Otomewell three. And Nick Muse has been a bit of an afterthought. And again, he's wearing the wrong number. Number 34, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think he's a. He's I think it's Jake Bargus. I'm like, oh, difficult. Jake, yeah, right. Jake Bargus, another another grab. He's really active in the passing game. Um, <laughs> I get so confused. Um, so that's my list. But honestly, guys, like the way the practice squad looks these days, and the, the rules, and like the ability to elevate them freely, it's almost like an extension of the roster. I mean, all of these guys could easily be practice squad additions and, you know, even make a roster appearance once or twice. It just seems like teams are, like, constructed so much differently or freely. Like, you don't have to necessarily keep a six-round pick on your 53-man just for the sake of him being a draft pick because you know that you're probably going to be able to keep him around. Yeah, I think all of these players will um, either make the 53 or the practice squad or be claimed on waivers. And honestly, you know, I think we tend to overstate the risk of, of slipping a guy, guy through onto the practice squad. It happens pretty rarely that someone grabs somebody off of waivers and particularly really for a sixth round pick, right? Because you have to, mm -hmm. in order to grab somebody off of waivers, you have to put them on your 53, right? Like you have to cut a guy that you've been watching for, you know, three, four weeks for a guy that you've never seen based off of your draft priors, uh, but also your draft priors were such that you didn't want to draft him even into the sixth round, right? So it's a, it's a pretty rare scenario. We tend to overstate it. Um, there are some times where we should be concerned. I think, for example, if we're having a discussion about Kellen Mond, right? If whether or not, you know, the Vikings should cut him in a two quarterback system 
and uh, and have Sean Mannion, which is a whole other discussion. We could take up a whole other podcast about that. Um, then you have to worry about practice squad sniping, 100%. That one's a difficult one. Uh, Verdarian Lowe, I, I think he'll probably make his way through. Before we continue, and I've got a good talker here around the corner, I'm going to tell everybody about betonline.net, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. My tout of the Jaguars, plus two and a half in the Hall of Fame game, came up short, but it won't deter me from having a big opinion on the Raiders and Vikings this weekend. Listen to Thursday's show for that. Uh, and head to betonline.net to check out all of the lines for the upcoming NFL season. They've also got NHL. NBA futures, esports, golf, everything you can imagine. Bet online where the game starts. Uh, this is inspired by an ESPN Plus list ranking the under 25 talent in the NFL. Vikings ranked 14th. My question to you guys, besides Justin Jefferson, your favorite under 25 prospect on the Minnesota Vikings. If you need to quick consult me on who's what age, because I know it's a little bit ambiguous for some guys, uh, feel free. I'm your resource. I'm here for you. Um, but top of head, favorite under 25 player on the Vikings. That does not include 25. KJ Osborne does not count. Under 25. <laughs> Luke Braun. Uh, Danielle Hunter's only 19 years old, right? So he can just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt Stafford is 23. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I have to go with Irv Smith I think I at least in terms of the one with the brightest future I know people are really uh worked up about his injuries we talked about last time or at least I talked about why I'm not as worried about the thumb thing it may might hold him out for a week or two or have him you know be that much harder to catch for a week or two but it's not a long-term issue um and I just can't get over what I saw from him when I was at camp last year it just seemed like he had transcended to some greater plane um it's, I'm sure there are other guys that I'm really excited about that are forgetting. My favorite, like the guy I'm going to be rooting hardest for is Andrew Booth because all he wants to do is fight you, and I think that rocks. But in terms of the brightest future, I, I just cannot quit Irv Smith, and I think we're all going to see uh, exactly what people who are at camp saw last year as soon as he's, he's back from that thumb. He turns 24 right. tomorrow. Oh, look at that. Ooh, happy early birthday. Uh, so most exciting player to watch, probably Kenny Longu. Uh, probably most exciting player to deploy, probably Lewis Seen. Brightest future, I'm going to have to go with Christian Derrissa. I think while uh, oh, yeah. maybe the people leaking stuff to National about how he's Trent Williams might be a little bit overeager, he has genuinely been quite good to, in, in camp. I mean, he's held his own against Daniil Hunter, which is the best you can ask, especially in a one-on-one -on -one scenario. And he's won way more than he's lost against Darius Smith, right? I mean, that's that's not bad, right? There's not an edge rusher that has been consistently good against him. The closest has been to Neil Hunter, right? I think that he's moving well. I think that, you know, kind of the the issues with injury that he had last year, plus, you know, the, the inability to kind of practice and develop as a result of the, you know, the multiple surgeries, you know, really limited him. And I think so far what we're seeing right now um, is, is a fairly high-level tackle. I'm not going to put him in like a top five conversation or anything like that. But I will put a pin on that because I think that that is possible. Do you think he's been up... better than Riley Reese at uh, versus yes. Daniel Hunter? Like if you compare the reps for mm. yeah, wow, yeah, I would agree with that. Let me just clean up some of the names that didn't get mentioned. Ezra Cleveland, I think yeah. being slept on a but little I, bit. I think he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, yeah. not like the most exciting. Yeah. No, I, I mean, he's no, far from it. I, I, I'm pretty excited about the direction he's going to go in. I don't think he enters the conversation, but yeah, I think he's worth this kind of honorable mention slash highlight that Sam is giving him. He's doing well. Cam Dantzler, I think, is... I think he and Cleveland both have a chance to take enormous steps this year. Massive. Yeah. And I'm I'm of the persuasion Luke, you that Dantzler... Cam Dantzler in camp. You, I, I see your face, Luke. Dantzler's been good in camp. Oh, I have no idea. I'm yeah. like really excited to watch Cam Dantzler in camp. Yeah. Okay. Just it's difficult to tell with the sunglasses what your reaction is. And I yeah, think there's a, a big opinion from the outside that Andrew Booth is like this shoe-in to unseat Dantzler. And I, I strongly disagree. I think Dantzler is 85% your starter. Arif, would you yeah. agree with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, it really depends on what we mean by starter, right? Because if it's week one, I think we've got maybe 85% chance that Cameron Dantzler starts. If it's by the end of the season... You know, that one's a little bit more tough. I think that Dantzler 
is is 60-40 going to take more snaps uh, if both are healthy than Andrew Booth? But uh, I could see Booth kind of overtaking him by the end of the season. But Dantzler's been, like, good. And remember, you know, we're, I mean, we're used to seeing cornerbacks not really be good until their third year, right? Trey Waynes, Xavier Rhodes, even Mackenzie Alexander for, um, you know, a bit. Um, because Mackenzie Alexander's, like, third year with the Vikings is fairly underrated given kind of everything else. But... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's a Cameron answer, third year, right? We've got an opportunity for him to be uh, a pretty interesting player. Well, with Ian Booth, it could just be injury roulette. Who's healthy on a given I mean, week? Uh, yeah, is your starter. yeah, yeah. You've got you've got some some matchsticks between the two of them. You can just break at any time. You guys want to play a game before we get to our mystery Monday guest? You know I hate games. Yeah. Great, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> So I usually do this on a podcast every year during training camp. Name where that guy went to college. We're going to do it weakest link style. I don't know if you guys watch the show. I do. Jane Lynch, great host, great show. Love it. Um, love how mean she is. We're going to alternate. So you have a list of five in alternating fashion. Best of five wins. I'm going to give you... Fairly obscure Vikings. You tell me the college they went to. You get a point if you get it right. If you get it wrong, then I will do a manual mouth buzzer. <clears throat> Something like that. Okay? All right. Make, make it a different sound every time. Surprise us. Okay. I like that, Twister Reef. Thank you. Luke Braun, because you made the long journey to Chanhassen. You might be next next door to Ron Johnson, by the way. He's a Chanhassen guy. Yeah. Um, Very good. We're, uh, we're going to let you start. Number one, Jonathan Bullard. Oh boy. Uh, this is going to be a guess. I usually would be so much better at this, but I did history instead of backstories this summer. Uh, I, I have no idea, so I'm just going to throw out a random one. Cal! Florida, wrong coast. Uh, Luke okay. is 0 for 1. A reef. Probably has a little advantage. He's, he's got that roster in his hand more often than Luke does at practice. Mike Brown. Uh, shoot, I think I know. It's like an Ohio school, I think. Is it not? Maybe it's it Miami of Ohio? Wow, he nailed it. Yes, that's correct. Wow. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. <laughs> That might be the game winner right there. Might be one one zero. This will be a soccer game. <laughs> Luke Braun, Andrew DePaula. Uh, Rutgers, right? Or Correct. It was um, yeah, it was Rutgers. Yep. You're good. Don't yep. don't That's screw it. Good thing you didn't wow, change it. I wouldn't have gotten yeah. that. Greg yeah. Schiano's Rutgers. That was fast. Yeah, Greg Schiano's. Yeah. The role feature. Yeah, DePaula is super old. He's like thirty. Yeah, eight million. He was. Uh, he, he was out of football for four years before he got a pro job. One of those like bagging grocery stories. Just a little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah so he was, he was on the roster. Long Working at a Best Buy to do a, a roster review. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get screwed out of the rest of this round. <laughs> Nate Hairston. Oh God, I should know this too. Oh no. I, he I he feels like uh, a power five guy. Um let me go Ohio State. Temple. Temple? <laughs> Not oh. even a power five guy. Oh. One for two, both of you. Back to Luke. Thomas Hennigan. Oh, it's, I'm pretty sure it's small. Yeah, this is going to be another guess. Why does my brain want to say Western Kentucky? Sure. I don't know. I'm guessing. Can I take a, can I take a guess just for my own notification? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, App State? Oh yeah. Appalachian State? Is that it? A shame that we're not doing steals because that is right. Right. Reef. Yeah. Okay. Luke Braun. Eh, 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 eh. One for three. 
Um, Arif, see if you can capture that magic that you just had with Hennigan, Tristan Jackson. Ah, boo. I don't know who this is. I mean, I know who he is. He's constantly. He's been around for a couple of years. Surely you would have looked at his college at some point. (laughs) Yeah, surely. Surely. Yeah, come on, Arif. You went to Trinity or East Central Oklahoma. You should know. Our director, Matt DeBritz, Uh, probably knows. He's a fan of this school. That doesn't help me at all. Uh, so I, I, that <laughs> I gets rid of my East Central Oklahoma guess. Uh, um, I, I don't know, UTEP. Syracuse. The orange. Oh. Oh. All right, down to our final two guesses each. One for three, each of you. Bryant Kobach. Luke Braun. Uh... Bryant Kobach. I can like see the document in my brain and I can't read it. Got a generous UDFA bonus. He did. Five. Again, it's like my brain wants to say West Virginia. I mean, you're in like the right time zone, I think. Uh, Toledo is the correct answer. Toledo. Oh, yeah. You're right. Wah. All right, Arif, a chance to take a... I get it. Looking to take a nice lead into the final final, uh, round. Zach McLeod. Uh, Miami, Florida. Arif has a monopoly on the Miamis. That is correct. Boy, thank you, Miamis. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, okay, yeah. Thanks, Thanks, Ron. To stay alive, needs to get T.Y. McGill. I'm not going to get T.Y. McGill. Michigan State. I have no idea. No, it's not Michigan State. But I'll say Michigan State because anything else I'll say is wrong. I'm guessing. Out of 100 colleges. If I told you it was a state, it is a state, would you you get one chance to change? It's a, It is a state. Um, Ohio State. Down. Uh, it's not going to help me. Oh, I've let you down. No, it's you NC should get used State. to me letting you down. NC, NC State. State. Okay. <laughs> At least it wasn't like Jackson uh, State. That would have been awful. <laughs> yeah, it's a state. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping one of you would just blow me away with your, your college knowledge. Night practice, Luke Braun, what are you looking for? I'm going to look right at the O-line. I'm really interested to see what's going on on the interior. I know it's messy, but I like a little mess. I like, I, I'm excited to watch that. I'm excited to see what everybody's so hyped about with Derisaw. I'm really excited to see this Cameron Dantzler, Andrew Booth thing. I want to see Andrew Booth try to fight someone. I love that, and I want to see it. It's very fun. Um, but I'm also really curious to see what everybody's talking about with Cameron Dantzler. Um, so that's going to be what I'm uh, paying the most attention to especially in times like I don't need to watch Sean Mannion throw it. I'll, I'll watch, you know, the, the twos and the threes on the offensive line and stuff will be a little more interesting to me, um, especially that, that cornerback room. Luke, are, are you in the stands or on the sideline? I will be with the riffraff I'm in the stands. Are you going to ruin the Vikings' chances of winning a Super Bowl and give <sighs> video clips to other teams and hurt the franchise. Are you going to violate KOC's request? I will not take video because I I never take video. I never bother to. I'll tweet stuff a lot about like competitions, but I don't usually take video. But I will talk a lot of X's and O's on Locked on Vikings going off of old McVay concepts and things so that fans can understand what they're looking at. And I think that's good. And anything that a, a fan like me will be able to surmise the Green Bay Packers should be able to do with one eye closed. The uh, You should tweet as if you're typing out the alt text to the image that your brain is taking a picture of. <laughs> I'll just start I tweeting out like detail. play names. Be like, they did choice return completion for five to KJ Osborne. Right. Well, you should, you should choose as many ambiguous play names as possible, right? Like, uh, like choice has, <laughs> has a couple of meanings. That's a good one. Ghost Tosser, that one's pretty good. Uh, Texas, perfect. That one is like three different routes, according to whoever 
is designing the playbook. So try to choose route names based off of uh, how how common they are amongst different routes. Let's sneak in so, our so, party so no, fouls. No post routes. We know what that is. Our yeah. guest arrives. Tell me what a I don't know what a post route is. What's a post route? No, I'm joking. Party fouls of the week. I'll start. Um, actually, do we have the do we have the fun graphic? Party fouls. We can work that in. Yeah, I love that. Um, my party foul of the week is the NFL demanding a point of clarification on illegal contact. Nobody oh, wants this. That was my party foul. Oh, man. Nobody ca- and it is literally a foul that that is at the, the core of it. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to see you hit a quota because you called 97 of them other years and you called 36 last year. People like that. No one wants to see an excess of flags and these are always the ticky tack fouls typically yeah. these are like the quick grabs off the line of scrimmage the little you know Im- impediment with like the arm uh like a mild jersey grab these are going to be the flags that absolutely drive you bonkers when it's third and 12 and the play goes for four yards you think you've got a punt force oh wait there's laundry on the field a ticky tack automatic first down penalty is going to affect so many games in the first four weeks fans will get mad coaches will get mad and they will soften the uh emphasis it's absurd awful stuff who's next nobody likes refs no nobody i can go next all right all right uh so this last week, Anthony Barr signs with the Dallas Cowboys. That's not my party foul. My party foul is Vikings fans acting like that is some grand betrayal. Players can go where they go. The Vikings weren't interested in bringing him back all that much. He's in his retirement tour, and every player can do that. Go chase whatever football opportunities they will get instead of being beholden to some weird loyalty to a team that has that that drafted you that's not what guys like joe cap and alan page fought for way back in the day when they were trying to get a real free agency that choice is up to the players and they don't owe fans anything we love anthony barr and i love the time he gave to us and i'm very excited about his his time as a viking but it's okay that he's ready to move on to a team that's ready to embrace him and i wish him all the best and if you were real mad about that and a lot of people were real mad about that i think you should maybe think it over a little more Nice Joe Cap drop there. Yeah, Labor King. Uh, yeah, um, I'm going to go, uh, why not? Let's go back to the Browns. They've had their fair share of party fouls. Uh, the Browns denying or declining uh, Kareem Hunt's request for a trade. Um, you should at least explore the option. Kareem Hunt obviously is a good back with a checkered past. The Browns, A, could get rid of people who have checkered pasts for their own sake, but B, uh, have a remarkable stable of running backs. They don't need Kareem Hunt, despite the fact that uh, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are the best one-two punch of running backs in the NFL right now. Trade him away, get a better draft pick, rely on AAF superstar and, and former Orlando Apollo Dernis Johnson to be your backup running back, uh, and, and know that your offensive line uh, will help produce in a big way. I know that Chubb and Hunt are fairly unique in their ability to produce beyond what their offensive line give them, but... You are an analytics-based organization. Andrew Barry, get some draft capital for Kareem Hunt. That's the party foul. I, I mean, I was going to take Sam, so I had to rack my brain. I'm sorry that this one was kind of pathetic. You went to ESPN.com and saw the first headline and made a party foul out of it. <laughs> I, I typed NFL into news.google.com. <laughs> Very precise URL. Uh, it's time now for our Mystery Monday guest of honor. Uh, you know him. You love him. He writes for the Pioneer Press. He also covers the Minnesota Wild, along with the Minnesota Vikings. His name is Dane Mizutani, and he just finished up a Minnesota Wild event of some kind. Dane was Kirill Kaprizov there. That's all I care about. Kirill was in the locker room behind the scenes of where the actual event was happening. The event, um, not a big deal. They're going to put a jersey patch on the jersey this year, and... I got tricked into going. So. <laughs> <laughs> are are they going to do a prisoner exchange between Brittany Griner and and Kirill? Is that what's going to happen? Kirill's back. He's back. Kirill's oh, okay. back. He's back, baby. He was at Canterbury on Thursday, like like a like a true Minnesotan. I, while they're posting pictures 
on on Instagram and and Twitter like he never left. So I think we're pretending like like the whole Russia thing didn't happen. Just never happened. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, like that is a weird situation for Kirill. Not to make this like lockdown wild, but for Kirill now, it's like, does he go back home next off season and next off season? Like, is he comfortable going back to Russia as long as the climate is the way it is? That seems like a like a bummer of a situation to be in where that's kind of like at the forefront of your mind every time the season ends. You just want to go home and you're like, am I going to be able to get out? Like, what do I do here? So, uh, are I mean, we, are Dane, we still I, asking he... Russian athletes about their geopolitical opinions about the state that controls the, their mother country? Is that still a common practice? I yes, know. that is. And if not, can we? Still happening. <laughs> <laughs> Has Kirill talked yet publicly? No, and and if I had to guess, the way the Wild have handled Kirill, like he he won't talk about this, um, and uh, we'll I'm get to training camp. Yeah, that's I kind of I lean with you, like you know I understand like news and stuff, but like dude's family still lives here. He's like his best friend is his brother. Like, what is he gonna really tell us in a, in a five to ten minute interview? That man, thank God we thank God. I, yeah. Whereas the five to ten minute interview could literally impact the rest of his life, so doesn't matter. He's back in Minnesota. That's I think all anyone should truly care about. If you are just a Wild fan, hoping the Wild are going to be better than average next year. Yeah, uh, Dane, you've been out at Vikings training camp quite a bit. You've written about uh, Cam Bynum, a good story. You wrote about Harrison Smith. You've kind of been locked in on that that safety position. So give me your, your best read on how that looks entering the season and what role Lewis Seen plays in it. I feel like right away, like when people were draft when, when Lewis Seen was drafted back in, in April, or, you know, people were like, he's definitely going to start next to Harrison Smith. Um, I think it was probably a little bit misguided at the time. He was a late first-round pick. A lot of times, those even if you're a first-round pick, it takes a little bit of time to, to get up to speed on, you know, where you need to be to be a starter in the NFL. Um, and I think we're seeing that kind of happen through training camp. I think we saw it a little bit in OTAs, but certainly in training camp, Cam Bynum has been the starter next to Harrison Smith. And that's fine. I don't think that's an indictment on Lewis Seen. He's rotated in here and there. Harrison got a bet day, I think, last week, and we saw Lewis Seen next to Cam Bynum with the ones technically, um, with the caveat that obviously Harrison Smith was was not there. So I think when you look at things like that right now, if Lewisine was the starter week one, that would shock me. I think Cam Bynum has obviously earned the right to be that starter right now. With the way he's played in the past, he was great in his transition from corner to safety last year. Um, and and Lewisine, I think, just needs more reps, and that's fine. I think the interesting part is that going to run three safety sets. I think you're going to see all three of them on the field at times. And that will give you know the ability to play fast, to play you know with some reckless abandon. We've seen you know the highlights of his hits, um, you know from his time in college. I think he brings a lot there, and I think it's okay if he's not the starter week one. I was going to ask about that. I'm very curious to know about what's going on at the lower levels of, um, I mean everywhere, but in particular the lower levels of of offensive line. Um, can you tell us anything about? Guys like, I mean, obviously everybody's asking about Wyatt Davis, but I'm even curious about guys like Kyle Hinton or Blake Brandell or Oli Udo. Is there anybody in those lower levels that might snag a roster spot that we don't really expect in all of our, like, chalk 53 predictions? Sure. I, I think right now, like, obviously, I think Oli's going to be on the team. He ha For what for all the you know the weaknesses and negatives surrounding Ole last year, I think the fact that he think the fact that he could, he's kind of a swing tackle, he's shown the capability to play tackle guard. I think that's going to be something that pushes him over the top in certain areas when we're talking about fringe roster players. Um, Wyatt Davis, I don't know. Like that's a great question because I think last year we had this idea that Zimmer hates him. Zimmer hates rookies. Wyatt Davis is really good. They're just keeping him, you know, hidden, uh, you know, in this closet. But, like, no one's letting him shine. But here we are in the second week of training camp, going on third week of training camp, night practice tonight on, a, on Monday, 
and, and why Davis isn't really running with the twos. He's with the threes. He might just stink. Like, we don't know a lot about Wyatt <laughs> Davis. And I think because he was drafted in the third round from Ohio State and had this pedigree about him, like, we were like, oh, this guy has to be this right guard of the future. He's a diamond in the rough. They found him in the third round. He, you know, stick him in and he's going to be a pro, all, you know, a pro bowl. I don't know. I haven't seen anything otherwise yet. And unless he kind of shows out in the preseason, I think the Wyatt Davis smoke, you know, maybe it's a little bit past gone. So other than that, you know, Blake Brandell, he's always been someone who can, you know, at least fill in in a pinch. Same with Kyle Hinton. Uh, I think those guys probably are more destined for a practice squad at this point. Um, I think they'll keep around nine offensive linemen. And if you just do the math, they're going to run out of time and space pretty quick. Yeah, it is crazy that really none of the third-round picks from last year have improved their stock whatsoever. And we thought that, you know, part of their their failure to impress was because of a like a stubborn coaching staff. But Mond, Surratt, Davis, Patrick Jones, I can't say I've seen any glimpses from any of them. But the irony is, Dane, is that you go further down that draft class, Wangu looks great. Bynum looks great. Smith-Marset looks improved. Zach Davidson could be a factor. Like, the fourth and fifth rounds were actually pretty great from last year. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, like you mentioned, Nwangu, the first, you know, obviously he's a, he's a kick returner and he's dynamic and showed that ability last year. Uh, that's someone who, even if he doesn't get a ton of touches on offense, like, that was a, a good draft pick because you got a specialist who can do something – that not a lot of other guys on the team can do. So if you, you take that, you know, Kenny Nwangu and compare him to anyone that you picked in the third round, like Nwangu's impacting winning at, at a better rate than any of those third round picks. I think the same could be said about Amir Smith-Marset this season, because even if he's not going to beat KJ Osborne out for that number three spot, I think you'll see him work in to that slot and, and bring speed, you know, Wes Phillips was talking speed at three. Like that's like a, you know, football term. Like if you have speed at three, like that can create mismatches and advantages. I think we're going to see a miss, Amir Smith-Marset used in that role. Not all the time, but at times, which I think going back to the third round picks is more than can be said about Kellen Mond, more than can be said about Patrick Jones, more than can be said about Wyatt Davis. So yeah, for all we want to criticize about, you know, the third round picks, I guess it is fair to say, like, those later round picks have been, I guess, better than advertised, at least at the start when they were when they were taken off the board. I think if you look at any team that has switched its front office, like, take a team that switched GMs like two years ago, or look at, you know, two, two years into a GM's tenure, and just go cross out the ones that were drafted by the last guy, and you'll just see how much turnover there tends to happen. You know, when you drafted someone, if you had a, a coach on your staff pounding the table for Chaz Surratt, you might be a little bit more willing to give him a year or two and say, ah, you know, he's really not there yet, but maybe some more development. You'd be a little more patient with them. These guys all came in. They didn't pick this guy. They didn't pound the table for this guy. You know, there is no, like Adam Zimmer's reputation might be on the line if he can fix or turn Chad Surratt into what he thought Chad Surratt was. That vision is gone. And now you can say, well, I don't know who this dude is. I'm sorry. He was a third round pick, but if he's not good enough to be on the 53, he's not going to be on the 53. This is my linebacker room now. And you can, that, that is a thing that tends to happen that, the old depth pieces, the draft picks you were hanging on to just in case maybe they turned it around or had some bump in the middle of their rookie contract, those go away and you get a roster filled with guys that you had a vision for, that you understand the point of. Um, and I think we're going to see, we, we might see that that might lead us to do things like cut a third round pick in his second year, which otherwise would be a pretty rare thing to happen. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Like it's just at this point you look at, they don't have any allegiances to, to these guys. And I think a lot of times that can, you're right, can be a reason to hold on to something. You don't want to admit you were wrong. Like if you're Rick Spielman and you invested this draft capital into this guy, there is a, a temptation to just hold on to him and be like, he's going to work out eventually. Like, don't worry about it. When instead of just saying I was wrong. Um, so I think you're right. Like we, Quasey comes in, he has no allegiance to the Rick Spielman players. Uh, O'Connell, same thing, no allegiance to the Zimmer players. Um, that might c cause for some interesting things on cut down day in a couple weeks here.
<laughs> yeah, and I think an interesting case study to that effect is Kellen Mond. Do they have any allegiance to this guy at all? They're clearly wanting to give him a chance, letting him run with the twos. But on the other side of the coin, they didn't really have any connection to Sean Mannion either. They didn't need to sign him, and yet they did. They did choose to bring him back, maybe at Kirk Cousins' request. I'm not sure. But they have this this veteran backup who's more or less a, you know, a good study partner and game manager and really not a playmaker on the field, has shown, shown nothing to the fact that he could win games. And then Kellen Mond, who the other regime drafted, has struggled now for two straight years. It seems like a major quandary at the QB2 right now, Dane. Yeah, I, I got nothing for you there because I have no idea what you're going to do. And and even rather than – moreover than who wins the number two job, it doesn't matter because neither of those guys, I think, are very good backups in the league. Like, Sean Mannion, I think, is a – like you said, a good study partner. I think he's going to be a really good coach. He's a great guy. But – he. You saw him against Green Bay last year, late in the season. He, he's not winning you a game. And he's not someone where you're like, if Kirk goes down, this guy can buoy us for four to five weeks and keep us in the race until Kirk's ready to come back. Um, for all of Kirk Cousins' faults, he's far and away the, you know, the one on this roster that can get the Vikings to where you know ownership wants to get. They want to be, quote-unquote, very competitive this year. Obviously, Kirk Cousins that on the rock quarterback on the roster who can get you to be very competitive the guys behind him though if Kirk Cousins goes whether it's Kellen Mond winning the number two job or Sean Manny winning the number two job like I just don't see you know a pathway for for that being a very good scenario I think the thing that Kellen Mond has working for him is kind of like you were saying you know under the Zimmer regime he didn't get a chance it was Sean Mannion we like the way he works with Kirk. We like that he's an old veteran guy backing up our franchise quarterback. Um, we don't want anything to do with the rookie. I think the new regime with Kevin O'Connell, at least in practice and in training camp and in the amount that we're allowed to watch, and he's getting reps with the twos. And I, it, that's not something that I think we were seeing consistently through training camp last year. Um, albeit Kalamon's a year older, but he wasn't getting reps with, with the twos last year. I think he's going to be given a fair shot to win the number two quarterback job, whereas last year there was no chance he was winning the quarter, number two quarterback job. So regardless of who is the number two quarterback, I don't think it's a good sign if Kirk Cousins goes down. Um, but it, I think it is at least intriguing through the preseason that there will be at least a battle, whereas last year there wasn't lower tier wide receivers, the lower team wide receivers. I have heard so much about Myron Mitchell. I know he's been hurt and I've heard a, a little bit about Tristan Jackson as well. Um, so let's say Albert Wilson doesn't make the team. Jalen Naylor doesn't make the team. I know there's a third guy that's kind of in that same range that I'm, I'm struggling to think of, but who is the surprise wide receiver six that sneaks onto this team? Um, let's, let's say you get the, the time traveler comes from the future and says, yeah, somebody you did not expect made it to the, to wide receiver six and snuck onto the roster, who is that guy going to be? I think if it's a guy that we're not thinking about right now, if it's, a, if it's a guy that we're looking at projections and we're saying this guy's going to make the team, that guy's going to make the team. But if it's someone who comes out of left field, I think it's going to be Myron Mitchell just because he has some experience under his belt. The guy balls out in practice consistently. He's shown the ability to go over the middle. He's shown the ability to go over the top. I think if a guy like that can put together a good preseason, maybe it, it, it's enough to tip the scales if at the same time Jalen Naylor looks lost or, you know, Dan Chisetta doesn't get the roster spot as the punt gunner and, and mm. take up a receiver spot. There are things that could work, but I think it has to be twofold. It has to be a guy like Myron Mitchell who I guess you're asking the question, that's the guy who I would go with is who, who would be the surprise six. Um, I will say it would be an extreme surprise six for me because I don't think he's going to make the team. But if, if there are guys that are, are right there or on the cusp of maybe they have a chance if, if things break right for them and things break poorly for, for them, for someone else, I think Myron Mitchell could be that guy. Um, he's impressive. He has, he has great hands. Um, he runs great routes in practice. Um, and he's, he's working with the twos and, and oftentimes the threes. So catching balls from Kellen Mond, Sean Mannion. 
um, not Kirk Cousins. So I think if you can look impressive in, in, in those roles, um, you know, give him a couple big preseason games and, and, and maybe he turns enough heads to, to sneak his way onto the roster. Um, we've seen it in the past. I think Chad Beebe is a good example. Um, he was a nobody. And by the end of preseason, he had made the team. So it's only three games, not four games anymore. A, a less time for people to prove themselves, but give Myron Mitchell three good preseason games. Maybe he has a chance. Outstanding. Dane, thank you. A utility player covers the Wild and the Vikings for the Pioneer Press. Uh, how hard did you try to wrestle away that Vegas trip from Chris Thomason? <laughs> um, I, Vegas has defeated me enough. I'll let Chris have the preseason Vegas trip. I'll, I'll make my way out there with, with during Wild season enough to, to make up for, for not getting there in August. <laughs> Something tells me Chris is like a, a secret whiz at like Baccarat to roulette, and he's gonna he's gonna come home with a pocket full of Benjamins. Dane Mizutani, the Pioneer Press. Uh, thanks for being the guest of honor today, and have a good one, man. We'll see you out there at TCO. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm. And that is the Minnesota football party for today. Arif, Luke, uh, have a great time, gentlemen, tonight at the night practice. Will do. I'll keep an eye on Myra Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. I'm Sam Ekstrom. At Sam Ekstrom, subscribe to the podcast, Locked On Sports Minnesota feed, or the YouTube channel, Locked On Sports Minnesota. For Arif and Luke, big thanks to Dane Mizutani. I'm Sam Ekstrom saying so long from the Minnesota football party.